Hi, welcome back to the Matron Saint of Nightmares podcast. I am the Acolyte. And I am the Matron. Uh, welcome to October, uh, Halloween month. Uh, this month we are going to be watching a bunch of Halloween-themed movies. Um, and uh, trying to pick apart uh, what we see from those. Um, and in this episode, we started with the 1978 classic, Halloween. Yes. Um, Let's bring back high-waisted pants. High-waisted pants. Uh, high-waisted pants are back already. I don't know if you've noticed. High-waisted pants are back. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to wear nothing but high-waisted pants now? Yes, please. Okay, cool. Um, this uh, movie is the classic origin of um, Mike Myers, uh, who is uh, a six, well, was a six-year-old kid that killed his older sister and was institutionalized. Right. Um, and again, this is the first movie that he appears in, in the... Anthology of Halloween's. Long franchise. <laughs> I don't even know how many there have been. <laughs> uh, I think like 11 or 12 or something like that. Wow, yeah. yeah. And plus another, re- uh, like a... Re- not remake. a remake, but there was a sequel with the same title. Right. Creative. Uh, yeah. But this is the first movie that old Jamie Lee Curtis. JLC. JLC was in. And uh, yeah, she was dope. Uh, she was cool in it. Um, frustrating. And it's so frustrating. But she was also, and I will say, like, she had no final girl energy. Like, the fact that she's the final girl in the franchise. Like, I hope she redeems herself in future movies that sure. we can see. Yeah. But she she was she was a great actress. It's so funny to see her as a kid. She looks so different. Yeah, and it it's weird to say, but, I mean, I, I grew up watching her older. Right. So too. I'm more used to that. Right. And so it looks weirder seeing her features, you know, just like who she is as like a younger person. Yeah. Um, But. Her first movie was Halloween. Absolutely. Yeah. First movie. Um, And she's such a fun character too. Like just in, um, in the movie, but also just like in real life, like the actress is so interesting. Yeah. She, so she had, um, just an interesting side note. She saw. Full Metal Jacket and her husband, her future okay, husband was Did you it. Full Metal Jacket or Spinal Tap? Oh, you're because right. It was Spinal Tap. Very it was Spinal Tap. Movies. Completely different movies. I don't know where I got Full Metal Jacket. But yes, yeah, Spinal Tap. Thank you. So she um, saw her future husband in Spinal Tap and said, I'm going to marry that man. And then five months later, they were married. Yeah. So, and they had been married since like 1984. Which is great. Which is, yeah, just like intense. And then um, that's the hellhound, y'all. And then she struggled with alcohol addiction and opiate addiction. Um, And she actually has been, like, very open about that struggle. And she says that her sobriety is um, the greatest achievement in her life. Yeah. Which I really appreciate coming from, like, someone who's, like, as esteemed and has had such a career of her, like, really rooting herself and saying, like, no, I got to be healthy. Right. This wouldn't be possible. Recognizing something in your life, despite all the fame and success that she's had as an actress recognizing that like overcoming something like that in her life was important right or even just dating that right plus she's in scream queens and i love scream queens it's ridiculous it's so absurd it's like a joke of a horror tv show and i love it um it's absurdly funny so i'm a big fan but jlc in this movie was she was frustrating she was frustrating for sure everybody was though so the movie was 
it was good. Mm-hmm. And aesthetically, I think it, it was it was great because it does, you know, it feels like a classic horror. Totally. But it sort of feels like now that we are how many years? 40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two? Something like that. We're, we're it's aged. Yeah. And, we can tell it's aged. And, yeah, like the development of horror movies. And so there's some weird pacing with the dialogue. The dialogue pacing is weird. And like awkward, actually. And the movie itself is slow. The movie, it's pretty slow, yeah. But it's beautiful. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because we're watching it from, you know, like how many years later. And then aesthetically, it feels more nostalgic or vintage. Yeah. Um, So everything that people were wearing, their hair, even Mm. like the music and everything. I almost imagined this movie now would be a movie you would see like around Halloween time at a like an like a an edgy bar and they're just playing yeah. it in the background. You 100%. Know? So like people who know it know it but but it's not nothing too gnarly the blood wasn't too too much. Oh no, there was know? like hardly any gore. Yeah, really. and what like maybe four or five people died? Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't wasn't too much. Um but what did you want to jump into uh, for this episode? I think the first thing I want to talk about is like how they characterized Mike Myers. Um, Because you see him as a little kid. um, And I think that they're trying to paint him in this way of, and I know we've talked about psychopathy before, an antisocial personality disorder, which is kind of how we frame psychopathy now. Um, And they're trying to kind of frame him as a kid who was just like grown up, terrible, or was grown up and just, or grew up to be terrible, was Mm -hmm. just like a monster at birth, basically. And that's why he killed his sister. And then they institutionalized him. Um, and there was a lot of really interesting dialogue, I thought, between the nurse, um, when Mike Myers gets out in the beginning, between the nurse and the doctor who treated Mike Myers. Um, the nurse is saying, like, that the, he's, the nurse notices that the doctor constantly calls him it. Mm. And the nurse says, can we call him he for the sake of this conversation? Yeah. The nurse is trying to, like, be a little bit more humane. Right. And the doctor's like, no, I've worked with him for 15 years and he hasn't spoken. Um, and he's a monster and I think he should be, you know, kept incarcerated. I just thought it was a really interesting kind of way to frame it. Partially because I think in a lot of horror movies and just in a lot of like the greater culture, people with mental illnesses are seen as like the, like unpredictable and evil or like they they have something inherently wrong with them. Absolutely. So like the mythology of the person that escapes a psychiatric hospital, right? That's like very common. Um, and I think that that is, I mean, honestly, that's kind of bullshit. I think if Mike Myers killed someone when he was six years old, he should be out of incarceration at this point. Mm. Um, like with our like up to date laws, I don't know how it was in 70 or in the sixties and seventies. I'm sure it wasn't great. Um, but there's no reason that they should hold him unless he killed a lot more people in psychiatric hold. Mm, Right. And also I think that they kind of put a lot of like the, the onus on the doctor to keep, Mike Myers kind of restricted from, from the world Mm -hmm. and incarcerated. And I think that that's not our role as clinicians, as mental health practitioners, we are not supposed to be the people that are, um, incarcerating folks, um, for a long period of time. The, the kind of protections that we have in place for folks who are like maybe more violent in these situations, um, legally, uh, in a lot of States, California has like very strict rules about this, but Many states do. The goal of the practitioner isn't to predict what the client 
could potentially do in the future. Mm. Our goal is to like help them get healthy, help them get to a safe enough point where they can re-enter society. Mm-hmm. And even if like I've had many, many cases, I will tell you, of people who were on an involuntary commitment hold, the hold expired and they were no longer holdable. Mm-hmm. No longer holdable means that they they're saying that they have no like thought in, or they have no intent or plan to hurt themselves or hurt other people. And that is that is one of the base the baselines, right? If somebody's saying that they're not going to hurt themselves or other people, and in California we have something called grave disability, which means if someone's able to care for themselves like like feed themselves and, you know, bathe themselves, they have a right to freedom. I have a question. Yeah. So what if there is a, a client that has shown time and time again that they are capable or that there's, you know, a continuous pattern of violence or whatever it is? How, how is that handled? It's seen as like a, like a higher risk threshold. Uh-huh. Um, but ultimately, like the, the decision to hold someone rests in the legal system. It's a legal process. I see. And so if they're committing like like violence on top of violence on top of violence, mm. most likely what will happen is some sort of criminal justice action will be I see, taken. I see. But it's right? not coming from a clinical standpoint. No. That's not a role. That's not a role. Okay. And, <clears throat> and part of the reason is because we're supposed to be an advocate for our client. Right. Okay. And also like our first part our first priority is safety, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we are not supposed to um, just keep people in hospitals forever. Uh, and then the, the other thing is too, like I've had clients where I'm worried about them, but they're not holdable. They don't meet criteria to be held. Right. I've had clients, um, you know, talk to me about fantasies of violence and things like that, but they weren't holdable. And that's like, that's the reality of the situation. I'm not, I'm not a police officer. Mm, I'm not, right. not your job. I'm not like a, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even, and I've worked in psych hospitals before, <clears throat> psychiatric hospitals that hold people on involuntary commitment. Um, and it's, it's just a very different threshold. So I think like, I think that the onus that they put on the doctor is, um, it's kind of like, it makes a gray area about like what his actual authority and autonomy are and Mm -hmm. like what his responsibility is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think in California, we have a very unique situation. So in, in other States, they have some form of like duty to warn it's called, Mm -hmm. um, which means that if your client says that they're going to kill someone or hurt someone, that you have a duty to contact the authorities or Mm -hmm. contact the person that they're threatening in California. We take that a little bit further. Mm -hmm. There's, um, something in California called the Tarasoff law, which actually stems from, um, a UC Berkeley student who was murdered. Um, and the person who murdered her, um, had told his psychologist, actually his, his psychological intern, um, that he had thoughts of this. The psychological intern then went to um, that intern's supervisor and asked, do we have the right to hold him? And his supervisor said no. Um, and then due to doctor-patient confidentiality, they weren't able to warn Tarasov, who ultimately ended up being murdered. Mm. So in her honor, we have the Tarasov law. The Tarasov law is... Um, if we have a credible threat, if a client makes a credible threat of violence um, towards someone else, that we have a duty to warn them. Mm. Um, and these are the... To the person that... To the person that was threatened. Um, and these are some of the most awkward conversations I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Having to call someone and say, you know, you've had a credible threat on your life mm-hmm. by this person. Yeah. 
And I've had a variety of different answers. Um, my first one, um, the person answered the phone and said, um, <laughs> and said, uh, and I quote, fuck him. He'll never do anything. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I guess that's not the response I was expecting, but okay. You've been warned. No gratitude. Um, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've also had to tear us off myself in certain cases. So part of the, part of the process of that is you have to document, right? What that. did you tear off? Hey, <laughs> no, I had to, so I had to like document to myself that my client had threatened my life in a credible way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a unique situation too. Yeah. So I think, um, it's, how did you respond? Yeah, I didn't respond well. I, I was like, what am I supposed to document? Like, how am I supposed to do this? <laughs> I had my supervisor like holding my hand through the whole time. Um, as I was saying like, wait. When does he get out? <laughs> Just real quick. Does he know where I live though? Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, I think that the, the issue of Mike Myers being, um, involuntarily held in a, in a psychiatric institution, I think was a little bit more nuanced than they let on in the seventies. Yeah. But also we've come a long way from like that, that thought of institutionalization. And in the seventies, institutionalization yeah. was much more accepted. Question. So Nowadays, what does institutionalization look like, right? Because I think the mental health industry or mm-hmm. field um, has obviously progressed, but there are people that live in mental health hospitals, mm-hmm. right? And so what types of people end up there for longer periods of time? And, you know, what's the sort of like average um, time they spend or whatever? Yeah, I think so. Normally, when people go for an inpatient psychiatric hold, it's usually temporary. Mm-hmm. It's usually 24 hours or 72 hours. That's what we call the 5150? In California, okay. yeah. In other oh, states, in it's called different. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in California, a 72-hour hold is a 5150. Okay. So if we're going to, and there's um, an opportunity to increase that to a 5250, which means like that they haven't resolved yet and we need to hold them a little bit longer. Uh-huh. Um okay. And there are different ways that we can do this. Sometimes people will go for conservatorship, which means that they go before a court and say this individual is not able to make their own medical decisions or their own healthcare decisions, um, and they need to be a ward of someone. So mm-hmm. someone needs to be making these decisions mm-hmm. for them. Um, and if they don't have any family present or friends or like social contacts who are able to do that for them, then one will be instituted by the state. Okay, and so that's like a guardianship mm-hmm. situation. Um, famously, Britney Spears is on conservatorship. Oh, right. There was a recent news thing about And her. recent news thing about her transferring her conservator to her sister from her father. Um, it's, it's a very complex issue, and I think every state does it a little bit differently. So I've only worked as a social worker in North Carolina and in California. In North Carolina, it works a lot differently. They have a little more latitude. There's a little less emphasis on patient rights in North Carolina. Um... In California, we have some state hospitals that will hold people for extended amounts of time. One of them um, close by us actually is a Tascadero, um, which is... Um, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Who hasn't? Um, who's a state hospital where folks can stay for, for extended periods of time, like years, right? And the goal there is to get people to a point where that they can live either independently or in stepped down mm-hmm. environments. So like board and care homes or homes that could like provide a little bit more support for them, mm-hmm. living communities, that kind of thing. Typically now the goal is um, to keep people in the less, least restrictive setting possible. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Because the underlying idea here is that everybody deserves their freedom. Mm-hmm. 
as much freedom as we can handle. So, um, or as much freedom as, as they can have in any situation. Uh, I've had difficult experiences where I have personally thought that clients weren't safe, but they weren't legally holdable. Mm -hmm. Um, I had one situation actually where I thought the client might not be safe, but I wasn't sure it wasn't holdable enough. There wasn't the proof that he wasn't safe. So I had to let him go and he ultimately died by suicide. So there, it's a really complicated process, all of this. And it's, it's painstaking. And I can't tell you how many nights I've stayed awake thinking, oh my gosh, I think my client might hurt someone or, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, are they going to hurt themselves? Um, but they're not legally holdable. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that note to say that actually it's much more complicated than whether or not the doctor thought he was dangerous or not. Right, right. And he broke out anyway, so he wasn't released. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, he, bro- he breaks out in the movie. Yeah. Right, right. And I think that's something that's... And I think that's kind of why we're doing this podcast, right? Right. To, to kind of shed some light on things that we see in the movies. And not necessarily to spoil movies and be like, oh, this is bad writing, you know. But I think to just give uh, shine some extra light on certain aspects that, um, that movies maybe do harm to how we view mental health and Absolutely. all those sort of things. And, Absolutely. And yeah, I think there's an interesting way that the, uh, even the doctor talks about Michael Myers? Yeah. Um, because he adds a interesting spiritual... I don't know if spiritual is the right word. I think a, it is, yeah. A bit of a spiritual element, like right? Like he's evil. Yeah, because he uses the word evil. He, 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 he talks about him like... Well, there is the dehumanization, right? Where he is not calling Mike a, a, a he and he's saying he's, he's using it. And then he even says evil. But I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that... Are, you never do that with any of your clients nowadays. It's mm-hmm. not something that we talk about in the in, in the conversation, right? Because if uh, you know, knowing what we know about how mental illnesses um, happen, yeah. or how you can get them, or you know, it's, a lot of times it's not your fault. And you know, I, I, they they do say that in the movie, but there is it's almost fatalistic in the movie to 100%. say, oh, he's evil and he's, he's, the doctor's basically given up already, right? Mm-hmm. He's worked with him for a few years. He said, oh, I, I spent seven years working with him and then eight years trying to keep him in the hospital. Yeah. You know? So it's like, oh, okay, well, like, what So you happened? gave up. Yeah, you gave up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, I think that's, I think that's on point. And I think if I ever thought a client was evil, I couldn't work with them. That's just like straight up ethics. Like right. I have to be able to make a connection with my client. That's not that client's problem anymore. That's it's my problem. problem. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one thing I like about my field is that it emphasizes that. Like if you dehumanize your client and I'm not saying that like evil doesn't exist. I'm not saying that people can't be, you know, in a place where they can't receive help or anything like that. But I am saying that if I see my client that way, it's going to make it really hard for me to provide them with anything that's going to be helpful. Right, because it's, yeah, you're biased in, in a way where it's om- Against almost, them. yeah, you're treating them like they're maybe irredeemable Absolutely. or unhelpable even, right? And, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if the person that's being paid to help them is saying they're unhelpable, exactly. then who the fuck is going to do it? Right, exactly. And I take that, like, I think that that's something that I'm really lucky. I've worked with, like, really great clinicians who've helped me kind of, like, understand the importance of that. Because mm-hmm. I've also, you know, I've worked with clients who have done horrible things, who've yeah. done a lot of horrible things. And when I first got out of grad school, I would say like really, really funny things like, 
Um, like, I'm never going to work with somebody who's committed a sexual assault. I'm never going to work with somebody who's killed a child. Right. Um, and five seconds into my job, I realized, like, that's not possible. Yeah. And also, it's not as black and white as I think it is. Yeah. And so if I can find my humanity, if I can find humanity in a client that's done something that I think is horrifying, then, like, that makes me a better person and a better clinician. And I think that I can see them in a way where I can find, like... Um, things to love about them, yeah. things to like appreciate, like identify their strengths. And I think such an important part of therapy is helping people identify their strengths and like what they want to change in their life. And I can't do that if I think someone is irredeemable. And it's also, I, you you could even expand it to some kind of commentary or not commentary, but like, like the way we think about criminal reform, right? Because you may as well just condemn somebody. Um, if you, if you're going to think, Oh, um, I can't help them or, or whatever. Right. And you may as well just, just do, you know, exactly. do what they, the doctor was going to do in the movie. Right. Just lock everybody up that, that we, we, we can't help. Right. The point of the relationship between mental illness and crime is, uh, not what we think, not what we think. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that that's like, it brings us to kind of this, um, like Foucault, ask a kind of place where it's like we ask ourselves like is this okay for us to just confine people to a room because they're mentally ill forever right you know yeah. and is there a place is there a way that we can incorporate them into society in a different way or have them have more autonomy over their life right and i think with mike myers it's i mean i have a lot of questions about this because i think that you know um kids have kids do terrible things sometimes yeah. kids commit violence yeah. um kids sometimes like will you know do terrible things to small animals and people see that as um as some sort of symptom of psychopathy which yeah, it's not classic it's that's not the classic right where it's yeah like they they skin squirrels and right and right push their sister down the stairs once and exactly so, you know and it can be a hint that there's something else going on. It yeah. can be a symptom, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Kids do stuff for a bunch of different reasons. Like, yeah. And I would say, like, the, uh, the, the primary reason is trauma. Yeah. Like, the primary reason why children, like, act out or, like, show, like, violent tendencies is because they saw it somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so for him, you know, they're making it out to be that he is, uh, he has, like, psychopathy or he has antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. At the same time, there are tons of people with antisocial personality disorder that are kind and who live in society, actually. Yeah. It's not necessarily something that is going to, like, define you as a person yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. It is a very difficult mental illness to cope with. There's a lot of, like, very, very tragic things that can happen to folks and that they can have an inability to feel compassion for other people mm-hmm. there. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist because it obviously does, but to assume that a six year old or at that point, like after you worked with them for seven years, right? Like to assume a young child is, is irredeemable right. to me just like hits me really wrong. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I think part of the movie, not explaining some of it adds to the spookiness of the movie. Totally. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let's, we also can be balanced about it in this context, right? Where I think we could we could hit hard at, at the real life sort of um, biases that we have towards these mental illnesses. But at the same time, it sets the movie up well. It does, Where there's for a sure. mysterious aspect and you're 100%. like, 
what's wrong with this guy and the it's scarier when there's no motive to killing exactly, um, exactly. and and so i think you know it, it, to give the movie credit it, it does that well yeah and it used that for a reason it, right yeah, exactly yeah and i think and i think that that is it also kind of like tells us a little bit about ourselves on why like certain people with mental illnesses are especially maybe like we perceive them as scary in some mm-hmm. situations because their affect is different because they're not responding in the way that we were predicting them to respond because they're um they communicate differently we can't tell what their motive is are maybe in the same way that we can tell with other people depending on what they're coping with or whatever yeah they might behave erratically right um, clearly there's a lot of reason to be afraid of Mike Myers because yeah. he, he enjoys murdering people. He does. Or he does it a lot anyway. But yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah. a good point. Um, how did you feel about the setting of the movie being around Halloween? Because I didn't feel like. I think it was more for setting. Totally. Um, I but I didn't... It could have happened outside of Halloween, and it still would have been just as scary. Um, so, I don't know. What, what, what did you think? Yeah, I think they were trying to, like, you know, they were setting it up for him that he killed his sister on Halloween, mm, and then right. he was, like, okay. repeating this or whatever. Yeah. But I, I think that there's, like, an added, like, spookiness, right? With yeah, Halloween the, season. Yeah, the sort of, like... Yeah. And, and, and the idea that most of us expect that we treat Halloween like it's a fun holiday and we're really taking the scariness out of it, even though it's, I think historically for whatever culture that it, you know, originates from, right? Cause mm-hmm. American culture, it's been, uh, commercialized and it's, we got smiling jack-o'-lanterns and everything smiling and it's yeah. cute and, and, and all that, you know, and even the, we've gone to what cute, the Halloween costumes and stuff like that. But it's meant to be a scary holiday, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It, it does kind of add to the, the atmosphere of, I don't know if I should be scared of this or not. Yeah. And maybe it is a commentary on the way that we have, like, commodified Halloween. Totally. Where, you know, it's bringing back the real horror that it should be, um, rather than it just being, like, trick-or-treating or whatever. But even trick-or-treating has quite sinister origins right i mean i think that like there's such a like intense history with halloween um i think a lot of different cultures have different ways to celebrate the dead yeah or to have some sort of like festival of death or festival of like um commemorating like the end of our lives right like i think it's it's a very um almost like existential holiday where we're trying to like figure out like what the meaning of things are we're trying to like celebrate things and in, um, I think the United States gets a lot of its, like, Halloween culture from, like, the Gaelic traditions um, of, like, celebrating the dead. Yeah. There's also, you know, um, as Christians kind of moved into that area, uh, there was a lot of trying to, like, re, like, adapt these, like, quote-unquote pagan rituals right. for, like, a Christian environment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that kind of shifted it a little bit to... Um, where some cultures, like some Gaelic cultures and some, um, like actually also like in Rome as like the Roman empire was like falling and converting to Christianity. There was a, um, a trend of people kind of viewing it as a day where souls that were trapped in purgatory could come out 
mm. or could make some sort of contact, right? right? Yeah. So actually the story of like the jack-o'-lantern is kind of rooted in um, like this mythology about uh, this person who runs into the devil, Jack, he runs into the devil he traps the devil in a tree and then he, when he dies, because he lived a sinful life, he's not able to go to heaven, but he also escapes hell. So it's this idea that when we make jack-o'-lanterns, we give him a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of traditions around that. And I think it's fascinating on how we try to um, process death, how yeah. we try to process mortality yeah. um, and the fear that we feel. Yeah. Um, with the finality of death and, and just all of the unknowns. And I think it's a way that we try to like make it um, more palatable for ourselves and also try to like translate it into, into life in a way. So I think it makes sense that in the United States, it's become like less and less scary and more and more like peppy because um, mm. ultimately like sitting with those themes yeah. is really difficult and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's something that we will try to explore a little more in this podcast is the idea that we've desensitized our relationship to death. Absolutely. Um, in maybe not just the United States, but in the Western world. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get into it some more in, in, in different episodes, but it, it is another thing to think about, right? And, and how that affects um, who we are as a society Mm-hmm. Um, our relationship to death. Um, totally. And uh, and the, the only other thing that I have on that is, um, I think it's really interesting that Halloween's in the fall because um, fall is when you know the tree the leaves are dying, and so there is yeah. a there is like a, a, a theme of death already, and, totally. and it's in that cycle of the year. Um, it's yeah, things are dying, and then winter things are dead. <laughs> yeah and then there's rebirth and all that you know in the totally of the year but yeah that's that's what i was thinking about um that's a real yeah i like that it's a really good point um was there anything else in the movie that that you felt like was because i felt like a lot of it was probably more critique on how they approach mental health right yeah i mean i think that this is that that was like a lot of like what my perspective was i also thought like um Lori, Jamie Lynn Curtis's, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, character was kind of this like really funny character. She was this too smart for boys kind of high school student who uh, was like a motherly character to those children. Yeah. Um, The kids she babysat. The kids she babysat. Yeah. And I, I thought that like the way that they kind of like had the women in the show, there was like a lot of sex in the show. I thought, like, just, like, some sexual themes and, yeah. and like, his, Mike Myers' kind of, like, perspective on, like, violence kind of seems to take place around, like, couples who'd have sex or mm, who were going to have true. sex. Um, and then, in general, I think that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was, like, hypervigilant throughout the movie. Yeah. Right? Like, she was, like, on edge throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to say <laughs> is that... Um, mental illnesses can be an incredibly difficult thing to bear. They can be an incredibly difficult thing to cope with. Um, and they can have a lot of negative consequences to your life. At the same time, there can actually be benefits to living with these mental illnesses. It can, it can change your perspective. Um, you know, there's lots of history of people 
like specifically with mania creating some like beautiful works of art oh, yeah. um or yeah. like people with depression having like a more acute understanding of like pain emotional pain there often are artists who refuse to get help because they recognize that their mania or not they're not recognized but they feel like their mania is what fuels their creativity absolutely you know? and absolutely like, I mean, as far as I know, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, biologically, these things happen to us as a response for survival, right? Yeah. Which is another big theme um, of ours. And, and I think, you know, it, it's your body's way of responding to some uh, environmental factor yeah. that, that, that um, is causing you to, to react a certain way. And, and often that manifests in mental illness or absolutely absolutely and i think it's in you know i think mental illness to some point like we call it an illness but i think like some amount of mental strife is just part of being a human i think that mental illnesses can they're viewed as like this bad thing but i don't actually necessarily think that they have to be um i think in in a more like uh in a better world, <laughs> we would be able to just be very honest about coping with depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. One of the things that I saw in the movie, um, or any mental illness, but one of the things I saw in the movie that I thought was really interesting was it made me think of, like, that there are some benefits to hypervigilance if you're in a dangerous situation, right? Oh, of course. There are some benefits to actually, like, having, um, you know, some experience of life or death situations. Yeah. And so when she was, like, portraying this, like, hypervigilance, I kept thinking, like, Oh man, if like me, if me, who I have experienced trauma or some of my clients were in that situation, Mike Myers wouldn't have a fucking chance, bro. (laughs) I'm saying. Well, the question we should have been asking too is what happened to Lori, you know, in a different outside of the movie or before the movie that made her so hypervigilant, right? Or imagine you're, you're, you know, we were back in uh, hunter gatherers and, one guy in the tribe almost got mauled to death mm-hmm. by um, the, uh, the lion, the cat, whatever. The yeah. lion, right? And the rest of the tribe hadn't. And the, the dudes, they all go out to hunt. And a uh, old buddy over there that's traumatized is like, I don't fucking like this. I really don't like how this feels right, right now. Right. Because he remembered the, the moments leading up to him getting attacked last time. Exactly. And so he's the gun sounding an alarm saying, guys... <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> Let's hold back a little bit. I remember it was, the sun was going down. There was some rustling. And there was a weird smell yes, you know, or something like that. Exactly. And so it, he's, you know, and so we see that, we see the symptom of that. And, and oftentimes, you know, maybe we don't get down to what it is that um, we find out that what happened, but it could be a way as, you know, so, so in that case, Actually, yeah, you take care of that guy and you bring him along with the hunt, you know? Yeah. So he lets you know yeah. that, okay, we should watch out because he's got the experience. Absolutely. And while I think, like, you know, part of hypervigilance is that, like, you're stimulated by stimuli that's not dangerous. And that's, like, one of the hard parts, too, right? Yeah. Is trying to live with that. Right, right. And when there's not a big cat and you're just, like, you freaking hear a out big when cat. the sun goes down. Right, 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 right exactly. <laughs> but, but also, yeah, like, it's this understanding, it's this idea that... Um, that you have some experience with that danger. And I think that that can be, that can be helpful. The other thing that it does like mental illness, um, can help make us more compassionate and understanding of our fellow man. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's the first thing you should. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you have depression, be nice to everybody else that's have depression, right? If yeah. you manage to kick it, be good to other people that have depression because right. you know what it's been like. You get it. You get it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, like, I think it's also part of... I think mental illness, honestly, is part of our existence on this world with the knowledge that we're going to die. Yeah. And with the knowledge that we can't predict what's going to happen. And, you know, it's a bigger conversation, but I think even calling it an illness is, is, isn't, isn't necessarily the, yeah, the right way to talk about preach. it, right? Because because pathologizing human experience. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it, it brings to mind like, okay, well, certain physical illnesses can be cured, you know, but not all mental illnesses necessarily can be cured. And curing isn't necessarily what we want to call it, right? Because and a what lot does of, curing mean? Exactly, right? Because right? they're... they're, they're their responses to yeah. your environment or whatever to something right and they tell us something we're seeing what, what we're seeing in the things that we call illnesses the symptoms of something d- deeper right and right. and oftentimes you know we try to fix the symptoms without necessarily fixing what is at the base or at the core at the core of what's going on absolutely and and i think like i say that to say i say like the mental illness might not be like the greatest way to describe it um as but also what i say that while acknowledging the fact that like mental illness can be incredibly painful yeah and it can get better yeah. right so like one of the things that i tell my clients that i work with on ptsd is i'll say nothing's gonna ever change what happened right yeah. like clearly we're not we're not sunshine of the spotless minding you like this is something that's going to you're going to remember and that's going to be with you and that you're going to have experienced and nobody's ever going to change that. What we can change is the impact that it has on your day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and the impact that it has on your perspective of yourself and the world. Because often when we experience something terrible, we lose all faith in the world, in other people, in like any good happening to us ever again, right? We don't want to get our hopes up because we feel like we're going to be let down. So there's all of these ways that it impacts our life that is very painful, Mm -hmm. very hurtful, and can be unhelpful. Mm -hmm. And those things can get better. But ultimately, we're never going to change what happened. That still has always happened. And so I think like um, when we're talking about trauma, like part of it is also like this acceptance of these horrible things that have happened and being able to like um, hold that and move past it. Right. Um, or move through it or move with it. Um, I had a client tell me once, like, it's not with grief in particular. My client said, like, you know, I'm always carrying the grief. It's always there. But I got stronger. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like as much of a burden as it did when it first happened, right? That's beautiful. Um, Yeah, I think there's something really beautiful about that. And I think that that is more accurate to what human experience is than to say it's a mental illness that you can cure. Yeah, and it also recognizes that, like, you know... Unfortunately, it is something that we humans go through. Yeah, we're not the first one, and nothing's going to make it better. Like yeah. nothing's going to fix it. Yeah, right. It's just it yeah. sucks. There was nothing to prevent it. There was nothing that can change that, yeah. and it's painful. Yeah. And acknowledging that pain is part of life too. Yeah. You know. Um, and with that, I think uh, I think uh, we we'll probably see you guys next time. Probably. We'll yeah. Try. <laughs> This With is our Halloween week, theme. Yeah, this is week one of our Halloween theme. I do want to also apologize um, because I'm not professionally trained as a psychologist or anything like that. I'm that asshole that took uh, one psychology class in college. <laughs> and uh, I do have a great interest in it, which is why I'm doing this with you. But um, sometimes I might say stuff and it may not make sense. But Ditto. 
uh, matron over here will set me right with the backhand. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, so welcome to Halloween week, week, Woo! Halloween month. And yeah. uh, we'll see you the second episode. Yeah, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. <laughs>